From the Vaults, audio from Edmonton's past. This recording consists of an interview of Michael Edward English conducted by John McIsaac on October 20th, 1983. This material was recorded on a 5-inch open reel tape and was digitized by an archivist on March 22nd, 2021. Our interview today is with Mr. Mike English. Uh, Mike, can I begin by asking you uh, when and where you were born? I was born in Peterborough, Ontario on the 18th of August, 1909. And uh, your, your dad was a, uh, a worker there? Well, he was a carpenter, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you were educated there, were you? Yes. Mm-hmm. And did you come from a, a large family or? Well, just a medium size. There were nine of us. Nine? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a, a big medium. Idea. Yeah, yeah. And was it at that time when you left school and started to go to work that you got involved with the union movement or? Well, uh, immediately after I left school, 1923, I was 14 years old. I got a job in the textile factory. And uh, um, that really wasn't awfully good employment. Although I stayed there until 1939. It, 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 it was not until 1936, with the advent in Ontario of the coming of the Industrial Unionization Program. And uh, the employment in the textiles, which was rather broad in the province of Ontario and in some sections of Quebec, uh, was at the lower end of the pay scale. And uh, and it was essential that something be done. Well, well, what, what did you do in the textile? Were you a cutter or? Oh no, I worked in the primary textiles. I was a weaver. I see. Yeah, used to make the cloth. Eh? Was it a real what we would call a sweatshop? Well, I suppose we would call that a, a sweatshop with our conditions of today. However, that was the normal conditions in factory operations in that particular time. There wasn't, there wasn't any type of organization, that's union organization, in, in, in the years from 1933 until, as I say, the, the beginning of the industrial union type of organizing in 1900 and 35 and 36, and I was involved right from the beginning in trying to organize. Of course, you put your job on the line right away quick. And a lot more too, I think. Oh, yes. So there was quite a bit of, of union breaking then. Oh, well, of course, the, 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 there really weren't any unions to break much because from in that area, the, any any unions that did exist were the craft unions such as carpenters and millwrights and bricklayers and uh, uh, they were existent really in name only. My dad was a member of the carpenters union from I guess 
about 1912 or something like that, eh? And, uh, and <coughs> excepting for a boom <coughs> in, oh, maybe shortly after the First World War until the, until the 1924 or 25 in construction work, there was hardly a union job that you could work on, eh? And uh, the wages in uh, that section of Ontario was, I think, about union wage was about fifty, about fifty-two to fifty-five cents an hour. And uh, when there weren't any types of union jobs, it would be thirty-five cents an hour or maybe less. Uh, strangely enough, in 1933, the average industrial wage in the southern section of Ontario was 27 and a half cents an hour. Now, they, they had more, of course, in the automobile factories and stuff like that, but in textiles, the young people starting to work then, it was about 15 cents an hour. Right? 15, 18, and something like that. So that in 27 and 28 and into the 30s, the average industrial wage ran between uh, 20, 27 and 35 cents an hour. Can you tell us how you start a union uh, in those circumstances? Well, you just had to go from door to door, right? And if you went to the wrong doors, occasionally I did do, eh? Someone that worked in the factory that was a bit of a stoolie, he'd go right in to the management. I, I guess I was fired half a dozen times during these things. And after that would cool off in six weeks or a couple of months, they'd say, well, you don't do any more union work, you can come back to work again, eh? Mm. However, however, it, 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 uh, it uh, there, there was absolutely uh, no opportunity to go into a, a company office and say, here, we have organized, we want recognition. Uh, the door was slammed in your face and they say, well, you don't bother coming to work tomorrow, eh? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, just don't. So, as this precipitated a, a series of strikes, of course, all through the province of Ontario, beginning in the summer of, of 1936 in the automobile industry, and, uh, and moving on into sections of the textile industry in late 1936, and almost all of 1937. Could a, could a strike be successful then? Wouldn't they bring in uh, gas? Or? Well, I signed the first collective agreement I ever signed, covered, uh, covered factories, one factory in Toronto, two factories in Peterborough, 
two factories in Cornwall. We had a we had a committee because all of these places were on strike. All of these factories were on strike. Uh, and for instance, in Peterborough, we were on strike for 19 weeks. And uh, in the other places, it was, I think, I think approximately the same. You know, because it has a, it has an effect of moving along. Of and uh, uh, the, I mean, after 19 weeks, and, and it was coming on that people were getting pretty desperate, having lived on half a loaf almost all of their lives. With that, the half a loaf taken away, they were pretty desperate, so we had to do something. And uh, so we did get a, uh, a the government uh, provided a uh, a note for us in this respect. They said that they would review all of the wages in the textile industry in the province of Ontario if we would go back to work. Okay? Now we went back to work without an increase in wages, only on the promise. However, within that agreement was, was uh, were, were um, a stabilization of the hours of work, uh, the right to bargain if there was such a thing, such a thing as bargaining. If they didn't want to sit down with you, they didn't bother. Eh? However, that was an August, August of. 1937 and happened to be my birthday, mm -hmm. you know. So I said, okay, we signed the agreement on the promise that when the wage pattern had been reviewed, that any of the recommendations concerning the wages by this group, by the committee from the government, would be retroactive to the 18th of August. 1937. You mentioned, Mike, a stabilization of the number of hours of work, and I wonder, was that to make sure you got enough hours in or to reduce the number of to hours? To reduce the hours. I was working mostly on, mostly on the night shift. When we were busy, sometimes I'd work six nights a week for 12 hours. Some, sometimes it'd be seven nights a week for 12 hours. So that would be, that would be 72 or, or 7, 12 is 80, 7, 12 is 84 hours a week. But you could complain yourself and say, you know, I just can't keep up, eh? Didn't make any difference. You came or you went home or you stayed home. So we got the hours stabilized to 48 hours a week. That was the stabilization of the hours. And with, uh, I presume, a decent uh, lunch break and that sort oh, yes. of thing. Oh, yes. Yeah. Now, I, no, I, as I wanted to say, or conclude with this part of it, when the report
report from the, the Commission of the Government came down in March of 1938. They declared that a minimum wage for young people uh, between the ages of 15 and 18 would be 26 cents an hour, the minimum wage. For other people between 18 and, and I don't know whether my recollection of this is, this is absolutely correct or not, but uh, there was an intermediate one of 28 cents an hour and the top minimum wage for people who, like myself, who were weavers and stuff like that, and carters and people working, working on the on the so-called trades, and there would be thirty-two cents an hour. Interestingly enough, there were about two hundred and twenty people in the two factories working between the ages of 15 and 19. And uh, with the increase in wages that they received from 14 to 16 cents an hour to 26 cents an hour, that when they got their retroactive pay back to all the hours that they had worked between the 18th of August and uh, sometime in March of the following year was more money than they had made in the regular working hours. And uh, I was in the office when they were paying this out. The younger people would come to me and they'd have a check for for $275-$300 and they say, is that really all mine? It was just too good to be true. Right? Yeah, see, so you saw that was, that was the, uh, uh, that was my introduction to the labor movement in the textile industry. Indeed. Now that brings us up to the uh, Second World War years. Uh, did you stay in the textile business during those years as well? Oh yes, I was in the textile industry there. I worked uh, there in the in in that factory uh, for uh, the 1938 and in the middle of 1939. Uh, for some unknown reason, they sold uh, a number of the factories. This was the, the Dominion Woolens and Worsteds uh, chain. They consolidated all their work in in a little town in in the central section of southern Ontario that we could never organize, mm -hmm. and they closed it down. And so all the people in in both of the factories there were were uh, there weren't any jobs for them. Uh, that that amounted to uh, about eleven hundred people, I guess, altogether. What was the name of the union that you formed? Uh, that was the United Textile Workers of America. Mm -hmm.
And how is it that you got into working for the railroad? Uh, like, uh, I, I know you as being a railroad worker. Oh, yeah. You okay. Know? So how did, you make, right. how did you make the Well, decision? between 1940 and 1947, I worked with the government as a textile inspector during the war years. Mm -hmm. I was married in 1944. We were going, and uh, when our jobs were finished in the spring of 1947, uh, I was out of work again. So I, uh, my wife and my two children by that time were living in Peterborough. Uh, well, there wasn't any work there for me because in fact, I was blacklisted. I couldn't. I couldn't get a job, and it continued on. I did get a job for three days in one factory, a new factory that had come in. And after they learned who I was, I was. They said they were sorry they didn't have a job that would, that uh, that uh, met. Did the capabilities I had. So that was a good reason. So I just, mm -hmm. I just kind of smiled and left. And then I went back into Toronto and worked in a textile factory. And from uh, uh, the fall of 1947 until I moved to Edmonton in 1948, in the spring, mm -hmm. in the early spring of 1948, and then I got a job on the railway. Why did you choose Edmonton? Well. Really, I don't have any real reason why I particularly chose here, excepting I had a friend of mine whom I knew in Winnipeg, and he said that things were looked like they were in pretty fair shape here, and it might be a new start in life. And also, my wife wasn't able to to stand uh, the, the separation in Ontario. You know, I was working in Toronto and she was living there and tried to get a place in Toronto in, 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 the, in, the, in the late 40s. Um, you know, it was, it was almost impossible accepting a flat on the third or fourth floor of of a house or something, and then if the children made any racket, they wanted to throw you out and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, I and I came out here in in March of 1948, and I got a job on the railway in April of 1948. That was with the CNR. With the CNR, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, you immediately became a, a member of the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way and Parade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And did you? Get right back into your union activities. Oh yes, oh yes, oh, yes, yes, mm -hmm. almost immediately. Mm -hmm. As soon as I got to understand uh, the workings of of or the operations of of the union here, I was president of the local. What the second year I was here, then I was the secretary treasurer for also for I guess almost all the rest of the time until. I left in '62. You uh, held every position in that brotherhood, did you not? Well, almost. I guess one would say from you know, from time to time, you know, within the local that was. I never, I never was a, a 
but I never was an international or a national officer of any kind. And in 1952, you became a member of the uh, Edmonton Labor Council. Yes. Mm -hmm. now, now, was that a uh, the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees yeah. representative? The representative, yeah. Mm -hmm. What was the Edmonton Labor Council about in, in the 50s? What, what, what sorts of things were they doing, this Edmonton Labor Council? Well, as always, uh, this was this was called the the Edmonton and District Labor Council at that mm -hmm. particular time, eh? and uh, uh, um, they uh, they did. I know, the, the main things that I was interested in was not the internal workings of the Labor Council. Uh, uh, it, but the work that they were doing in the community, you know, you know now it was important that uh, that uh, they were a focal point uh, for the to coordinate some of the work of the unions together but I, but the, the you know i must i must be blunt about this the unfortunate one of the unfortunate parts of a trade union movement especially in the west it's not i don't notice it so much i didn't notice it so much in the east this is here in the west I don't know whether it's a sense of isolation or whatever, or, or whatever it is, that we do an awful lot of navel-gazing. We're looking internally at our own operations and, uh, with a sense of having to protect them. Eh? Mm -hmm. And so that, uh, that kind of overshadows the work that the trade union movement as a whole should be doing in the community, and that that was one of the sad things that I found here. Uh, 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 now the 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 Edmonton Trades and Labor Council, as it was called, I think I I I made made a mistake at at the beginning. The Edmonton Trades and Labor Council was primarily for the craft unions, mm -hmm. the the industrial unions had only begun in the West after the war in the packing houses and the steel mills, and and they had formed a, a Canadian Congress of Labor and a a and a. No, what was the name here of the local one, the Canadian? You know, I did have the names on the tip of my tongue, and I've kind of forgotten. However, however, in 1957, there was a merger of the. Uh, Canadian Trades and Labor Congress and the 
and the CCL, or what were they, the, so that there was a merger of the crafts and the uh, industrial union, the, the two congresses, eh? The, yeah. And they became the Edmonton and District Labor Council? No, they, they became in, in 57 what we now call the Canadian Labor Congress. Eh? Mm -hmm. And from the first of the merged uh, Congresses came forth an understanding that the federations of labor and labor councils where they existed as duplicates would at their own initiative amalgamate. And I think it was 1959 when the, the Trades and Labor Council in Edmonton and the, uh, and no, the Again, the other name escapes me, had merged. And after that, there was more of a consciousness of the work that they had to do and they should be doing in the community, aside from the internal well, What sort of work were they doing in the community once they did get it together? Well, okay, we were at... Uh, that that time we were concerned uh, uh, first of all in, 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 within within the city itself of uh, a reform of the of uh, uh, of uh, uh, the voting structures within the city the establishment of wards uh, the uh, uh, to hopefully create an opportunity for for uh, a a broader section of of the citizens of Edmonton to to have an opportunity of of, of being elected to city council and stuff like that. There was also the fact in the social field of, of you know of, well, they, uh, the the uh, <clears throat> no, it's uh, uh, that's rather so broad that it, that, that it's meaningless. I admit, uh, but uh, you know, we were we, we were con we were concerned with the minimum wage structure, with the hours of work as it affects all people, uh, the the uh, uh, the uh, 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 the fact of improvement in unemployment insurance conditions. Uh, uh, in workers' compensation, and uh, all of these things, which through the years the labor movement, before they were, you know, in the in our in our early meetings in the thirties, and not in the war years, but then immediately following the war, um, the in the endeavor of all these social, the, the social structure we have now, an awful lot of this came out of the workings of 
labor federations and labor councils such as, such as workman's compensation improvements, UIC, statutory holidays with pay, etc., etc. Time and a half, all of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, because the first, the first, uh, you see, 1923 until uh, about, about 1948 when I came out here, there was, you know, generally speaking with except, excepting in the civic and the civil service, there was no such thing as a statutory holidays with pay. No such thing. I never had a vacation with pay in my life until until 1950 after I had been after I had been three years on the railway I became I you know I became entitled to one week's holiday with pay after three years so who, who we worked on those and you know and 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 uh, uh, and uh, I think one has to recognize that 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 although the credit is credit is never given to labor, you know, the, 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 the ordinary Joe now working at any job has holidays with pay a couple of weeks or three weeks. Mm -hmm. Wherever they're organized, it's much better. But this, this, this found its initiative within the trade union movement itself, and that all these, these social improvements all, you really sprung from I I think uh, I, I hear you saying that you really were involved in municipal provincial and federal politics really oh, because yeah. of whoever's domain to look after these issues yeah right. that's right mm -hmm. you know, now on the uh, provincial or the municipal level during the 50s it was pretty well uh, William Horlack running the show mm -hmm. under his uh, citizens committee party yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. now did uh, did the Labor Council support Horlack on the whole, or, or, or not? Politics at the civic well, at any level, so far as the labor movement is concerned, is rather a peculiar thing. At the top, I mean, officers uh, uh, and and. Uh, and executives of unions could meet and say that we think we should support this tactic or this person or this program. Uh, here in the West in particular, that never has trickled down to the ordinary worker, although you would always have a minority of actors of workers and you know active members in the trade unions mm -hmm. that would that would go along and support a particular program or particular individuals but the 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 old sense that the craft unions in particular had is we should not be interested in politics on a on a uh, oh, what's the word you know on a uh, sort of partisan level on, yeah on a partisan basis you know we we, we we don't believe in that so they you know 
accepting accepting a few, you know, again a minority, and they were really the same in the West, wherever that they were, they were organized under industrial plans. They were a little, a little more active, and and uh, and. Uh, 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 a little more support would come from there, but we never, as much as you could try, we never got down, it never got down to the broad base of union members to be, to be, well, all one has to do is look at the results and you can see. You might endorse somebody, but you couldn't get the yeah, vote out. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, I did notice in my research for today's interview that uh, I was very surprised to see this, that Ethel Wilson was involved with the uh, Edmonton Labor Council. She was the secretary-treasurer, I believe, for a while. And she, of course, became the social credit minister and yeah, all that. Well, well, and I, I think of social credit, I don't really think of, you know, pro-labor. Really. No, well, well, no, but this, 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 was a, this was, of course, no. I, 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 I did know her history once and I've completely forgotten it, with the exception that she had worked in, in GWG, I believe, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and uh, there with, with all of the, with all of the rest of the hundreds of people who worked there, they, 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 uh, they had, they had become members of United Garment Workers of America, and uh, and of course, and then I think she went as a seamstress or something to the Royal Alec Hospital, was it or something? I'm not too sure. No, I'm not, you know, no, 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 you know, I'm not. I I'm not overly sure. Mm -hmm. you, you could probably find it upstairs. On, I imagine you have something. A file on somewhere. Yeah, someplace you you can find that. And th what this shows, eh, that uh, there. Uh, you know, just because you're a trade union member doesn't say that you're not going to take advantage of an opportunity, although I can personally never do it, eh? Mm -hmm. I couldn't go against what I believe in for for any personal gain in that respect. So, so therefore, that became a a popular movement, and she, as a free individual, joined. And with her capabilities, she she got elected into Parliament, eh? mm -hmm. and into the government of Alberta. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and as a consequence, I'm sure her her involvement with the unions did have some effect on her getting elected. Well, it gave her a high profile. I yeah. think she got a lot of press. That yeah. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of politics, then, Mike, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what has your politics been over the years? Have you pretty well supported the same party since the thirties, or? Uh, initially, in the twenties, our family, our family were were liberals, eh? That, of course, in Ontario was a minority, or that that was a minority position in Ontario until I was the only one, for, I guess, and I guess in my family who was particularly interested in that. I think someplace I have my card, my membership in the CCF from 1936, 
light of the fact that that began in 1933 as a Western movement and had uh, and, and, and had had come down east in 1935. Mm -hmm. I think my membership number was 136 in the province of Ontario. Mm -hmm. So I I have been up yet I haven't I haven't been as active as I should have been because no. Uh, however, that has that has been my leanings ever since. Mm -hmm. 1936. Which, of course, became the New Democratic Party. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And did you, over the, year, over the years, like in the 40s or 50s or even 60s, were, were you actively involved in that party, or is it only recently that you have not been well, active? Oh, no, no, no. I've always, I've always been active, but, uh, uh, but I've, uh, I, which I should say, and I, I think I have to apologize for not being more active. But I have always been involved in 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 in, in so many other things that I just didn't have the time. Mm -hmm. you no, know, to you know, I supported them all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I spoke for them all the time. I did I did what I could could. R r Rather quietly, eh? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so. Indeed. Um, when you became the executive director of the Edmonton Labor Council in 1963, mm -hmm. did you have to give up your position at the railway? I did. You did. I resigned. Yeah. I see. And uh, maybe if we can just cover your career at the Edmonton Labor Council. You were there for about 13 years or so, were you not? 12 years and a half, yeah, yeah. about, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, when you came in, you found an organization in a certain state. I wonder how it was different when you left what, over those 12 and a half years. What sorts of things went, went on during that time that would have, have made it different or better? Or, for that matter, even worse is possible. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, it probably was worse. After, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the filing system was. But. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just, uh, I, I don't know that I added uh, uh, a great deal to it that might be determined to be, to be in a tangible way. Excepting, I was able to, and uh, uh, the thing I had hoped to have done was to have the Labor Council more involved in in in, uh, in civic affairs. Now that they that we would participate in. To a fuller degree by by working with the various types of committees in the city, by making recommendations on issues as they came up, and uh, although this, I must say. Uh, kind of traveled my work because uh, 
the the anticipation was that I had lots of time. I didn't have too much to do. But you know, I read a naive view. Yeah, and you know, and uh, and of course I, uh, you know, I was there primarily to service any union that wanted any type of service that we could give, and that I think I did. What what kind of services would those be? Well, first of all, to look at their collective agreements. To look at them objectively rather than subjectively, and to compare them with others from other sections, to compare them with the, with the, with the, with uh, 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 with uh, uh, various labor laws in the province, or if they were if they were. Uh, under federal type of legislation to look at that to see how they might incorporate some sections of that you know that from the acts that would be of automatic assistance that they wouldn't have to be bargaining for also to to uh, to assist in the, the publicity of for unions I was always drafting uh, drafting news releases for them. They, they'd come down to me, you know, and they'd say, well, you know, how do we do this? We want to incorporate it. We want to do something that we can advise our members on. How do we do it? So, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, but more particularly, my concern was to try to make, to make unions have a, have a greater public face. As I said earlier, they, we were navel gazers. Uh, we still are. Eh? Mm -hmm. We're still awfully defensive. Eh? In place of being aggressive, we're defensive, which is a, which is a negative thing. And what my my big undertaking was that they should become a little more active in the social field and in the end. As a consequence, I well, here, first of all, we we had landlord and tenant problems, eh? So we got in nineteen sixty-eight or sixty-nine the city to or the province first of all to put a put a clause in the uh, in uh, the landlord and tenant act uh, providing that the city could could form a landlord and tenant board to, to look at these matters which did come about in 1970 and mm -hmm. 1971. Yeah, I was one of the founding members of that and worked on it a great number of hours. Also in public housing. Right? Mm -hmm. And I was the founding member of the Housing Authority before it even existed. The city appointed me as the city representative. 
the government officials to look into the the uh, fact or the fact of rental accommodation and housing. As a consequence, that was uh, uh, about 1969 again, and uh, I I was able to get the city to advertise. Or, well, I guess you wouldn't call it advertised, but to have a solicitation made that would try to determine the need for public housing in the city of Edmonton. In 1969 until the middle of 1970, the city had anticipated they wouldn't they wouldn't have any applications for low rental housing or public housing. In, in six months they had 2,200 applications. That convinced them that, then we had to convince the province of course, and the federal government for which, who, whom are all involved in that, in that eh? so we we formed our Edmonton Housing Authority in the fall of 1970 and began employing staff in 1971. We got our first units on stream in uh, the spring of 1970. No, perhaps my dates are a bit off. I think it was. I think it was sometime in the spring of 71. We got. I think the deed is more important than the date. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. So, so, in all these things, now that used to, these, so I was chairman of both of these boards a few months after, you know, you know, I didn't, I, uh, I didn't want to step in and, 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 and act authoritatively, even though I had, on behalf of the council, I had acted uh, sometimes alone. I'd like to, uh, Mike, ask you about uh, some of the issues. I, I was into some research here. And uh, like one of the things that happened when you first got in was uh, that the council came out against the establishment of private employment agencies as opposed to uh, uh, the establishment of these businesses by, uh, by, by individuals, you know, that where they would help you get a job, this sort of thing. Uh, I understand that you and the council uh, favored the more use of the National Employment Service. Okay. Can, can you tell me a little bit about that? What? Okay. Private employment agencies at that particular time, and they still remain as such, are simply agencies to which sometimes employers go or to which that agency itself will solicit uh, the number of jobs that they may have. And then they go out and, and or they set up their business on the ground that they can find work for persons who join the private agency. 
they'll find work for FE. You pay them to do this. Now that was essential. Essentially, our our objection to that is they were obtaining a fee from the person whom they and sometimes the fee was uh, was in comparison to the type of job they found was fairly substantial. And I think they, it still is. Or that they were parasites on the backs of the workers. They didn't. No. That's 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 in a nutshell our objection to it because both the both uh, uh, well uh, <clears throat> for <coughs> however 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 one they consider the Canada Employment Services uh, uh, they're there and uh, you know, they have listings and you can go in and you can ask about it and there isn't any charge for it. And you know, and there were other services too. Even in the city, there was, but the, 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 these private employment agencies were, were were anyway as far as far as I was concerned, sort of parasitic. That was the reason for our opposition. Indeed, and uh, also in that same year, you uh, you came out with a. Uh, uh, a motion in favor of what effect would be nationalizing the Northwestern Utilities, okay. which is still on the books, I believe. It's still as a, on the books, you know, yeah. Okay, our general belief, belief, or I shouldn't, shouldn't say a belief, I guess, because all members of trade unions don't think the same, eh? Mm -hmm. but our, our, our basic philosophy, I'll put it that way, is that all utilities, which by their nature may be monopolies, should be publicly owned, because then you at least have, have some control over them, even though it's pretty remote, mm -hmm. as uh, the kind of as is evidenced within our city, you know. What uh, we, you know, we don't have very much control over our electrical system, our phones, or anything else regarding the charges and rates and everything else. However, however, they're the day uh, they are there, and uh, we can have political influence with the city council if they're you know if they're publicly owned, and uh, the gas utility is I think is one that. Or I'm, I'm sure is one that is a monopoly within, uh, you know, really within the whole province as far as that goes, and then that and that it, that that the Northwest Utilities or what do they call the, the the provincial wide utility that it's a that it's uh, that it's amalgamated with, which is amalgamated with with. Uh, one of the distribution systems in the states, or something. I, you know, I, I don't know all the history of what I did know at once, but but you know, I've forgotten it all pretty well now. But however, that was that was our basic philosophy that anything that could be a, a monopoly should be publicly owned. It is odd that we own the lights and the water, 
in a telephone. Well, like we don't, you, yeah. you know, if you look back in history, you'll find that when it was, labor had been successful a couple of times in her influential, the main influence in electing a mayor. And that's when our city utilities became publicly owned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And did they have did they, did they have been of value to the city? Even though, even even though we may have little direct control, still and all, the profit picture that that has emerged, the, the profits hasn't been plowed back into a shareholder someplace. It's been plowed back into the or the, the city who are who are the shareholders. Eh? Well, we hear the argument all the time that our property taxes. Are not any higher because of the profits from Edmonton Telephone. Yeah. yeah. So it's reasonable, doesn't it? And uh, another big issue at that time was uh, about '64 or so was the question of moonlighters, especially those moonlighting for the exhibition association and that sort of thing. Uh, do you recall that one uh, coming the, up? From, uh, what year? Oh, well, 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 that uh, people are '64. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's always been up now. Uh, you know, I think the unemployment picture wasn't awfully rosy in in rosy in the, the, the in the middle sixties, mm -hmm. and uh, we did have uh, we did have uh, or I don't know how broad it was. However, it uh, it, it, it did exist that people people working in the public services in the city. Or such 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 as our policemen, our firemen, our bus drivers, you know, and and we also we also did learn of other persons who had reasonable jobs for forty hours a week, were always going out and, and you know and and, and you know I suppose the number was probably in the hundreds, eh? But we felt that this was unfair with the employment picture the way it was that these jobs that even if they were even if they were only for a few hours a week or you know well, i think some guys were even taking their holidays so they could work full time yeah that's yeah, yeah. see so that 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 uh, the, the the people having these temporary types of jobs should insist on hiring persons who were unemployed mm -hmm. rather than than uh, than allowing people as you say to take their holidays and work at the exhibition to to uh, you know to to uh, but it, uh, I don't know whether it was ever successful I don't think I don't think we ever had uh, had uh, too much feedback on the the results of it, one way or the other, and uh, and as you know, uh, 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 with any anything, there there is usually a tempest in the teapot over some little issue, and a couple of months afterwards, you never know the issue existed because you know you know it's someone gets up. And Who's been, you know, who's tried to get a job and this and this? Oh no, they were filled up. We got 
half a dozen policemen and twenty firemen and mm -hmm. somebody else you know was doing something you know so that probably where it came and I and it came on uh, it came on uh, 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 I'm sure it came initially from the civic union themselves mm -hmm. Uh, let's talk about uh, the general issue of strikes. Now, usually the Labor Council comes out in favor of the strikers. Usually, that's the case. And uh, I, I wonder how that works. Do does the union uh, uh, approach the council? Always, and ask? yeah. Always, you know. We well, they know that automatically, whatever minor services we have at the office. Any assistance any of us can be, we will give that. Eh? Uh, helping make signs or yeah, press right. releases yeah. again. Press releases yeah. Yeah. Um, has there ever been a strike that the Edmonton Labor Council has decided that they just couldn't support? Not to my knowledge. Yeah. Do, do you recall, Mike, any particular strike that was particularly nasty? I mean, they're all nasty, but one that maybe got a little rough or out of hand in any way? Well, in comparison to the strikes that I was in in 36 and 37, nothing fazed me particularly <laughs> here. There, you know, there, there, you, you're always running into instances, you know, for, you know so, but I, you know, now, perhaps at the time that there might have been, there, there might have been been some things I was concerned with, but that would be that would be ten or fifteen years ago. My memory isn't all that good regarding any particular one. That the incidents were were that there were actual battles on. Well, I think that that in itself point. says something. That well, the fact that it wasn't so outstanding to yeah. to stay with you means that yeah. it was yeah. they were all fairly quiet. Yeah, you know. Um, how about uh, in '64? The Labor Council came out and, and actually was successful, I believe, in getting a fair wage clause in all contracts left by the city. This was where uh, uh, the city gave a contract to any company; they'd have to pay like union rates. Or yeah, that the, 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 that was the expectation. We, you know, that was for. For instance, and you, you you still have that in the city, uh, yeah, with the with the uh, eternal threat to to uh, uh, contract out our our garbage collections. Just for one as an example, you know. Now. Uh, private companies that have established themselves to to perform specific services have a have a right of so doing however the council at that time and I'm sure before that and and since that time believe that the city or any type of a contract that would affect the wages and working conditions that would undermine them 
should not be part of any agreement that the city or any other type of a body would enter into any, you know, the exhibition board or anything else that they shouldn't enter into to any, to any type of an agreement where the wages and working conditions were much inferior and that was on principle and I think it's, I think, I think I, I don't know, I only, I only see the odd blurb now that uh, where, where some of the private contractors are picking up the garbage they don't, you know, you can't actually depend that they're going to be there the same day every week or every two weeks and they, you know, and uh, they don't give the service that the city gives in its own pickup. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and with the deterioration in the service, the, the inferior types of working conditions, less wages, that these better contracts should be protected as best that they can be. Mm -hmm. That was the reason for that. Um, going back to 1965 and 66, uh, Mr. Uh, Justice Samuel Friedman mm -hmm. gave a report on the railways. Uh, you mm -hmm. were, I don't know if you recall that report or not, but basically in his report, uh, uh, the council wanted the railways to, uh, to have a clause saying that there could be no changes in working conditions for the railway workers unless the unions were consulted first. Um, did you remember the report itself, Mike? I remember the Friedman report, but, but the exact contents of it right at the moment, I, I don't recall. However, uh, I think the Friedman report did in general indicate that the uh, authoritative nature of the railways as employers must be softened to the degree that where changes it changes uh, and this 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 I think was involved in the mechanization, there was a lot of mechanization at that particular time, that before the, the before this other form of mechanization was introduced, there should be consultation with the representatives of the employees, which were the unions, eh? Mm -hmm. So that they're the, so that they just, that all these changes wouldn't be imposed upon them. Now you don't, you don't, uh, uh, prevent changes by just saying we don't want it, eh? mm -hmm. but you should have some say in its implementation. And that was all I think that the, that, uh, the, the, the Friedman report anticipated that unions within the railway industry should have the right of making uh, uh, an input onto the introduction of uh, of the changes of working conditions and the implementation of them, of uh, of uh, uh, 
the, the methods of operation, eh? mm -hmm. the, 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 they should be consulted, because that was a, that was a big fear, you know. The, you know, a strange thing, where our horizons are so damn small that when we hear of something happening that's that's maybe new, eh? we all immediately want to resist it because it might affect our own particular. Uh, the position which we have, or the, or the job which we have, and it was to allay that fear, I think, that that Friedman had made that uh, these observations within it, and you know, and uh, you you can't well, you can't really stand in the way of progress, but at least you should be able to have to have some say in the the implementation these mm -hmm. things. Uh, Mike, earlier uh, when you were, you were talking, you said, uh, you know, we supported this on principle. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the years, I, I noticed that the uh, Labor Council came out on certain issues, like for instance, in 1970, they opposed the Vietnam War. They made a statement mm -hmm. on this. And more recently, they, uh, in 78, they, they said they supported the pro-choice segment of, over the abortion argument. You know. Mm -hmm. Now, do you really think it makes much difference when like, these are big issues? They affect, you know, at least the country and maybe sometimes even internationally. Does it make much difference what you know the Edmonton Council uh, feels or wow. states? Uh, I, I can appreciate the council m taking a stand, yeah. but well, I wonder how productive it really. I is. think that in the light of the. Uh, the magnanimous nature of the of the subject uh, that has been looked at, the degree to which a labor council or even any local labor group would have is its influence is directly in proportion to the size of the subject been looked at. So, you know, uh, and, uh, and again, uh, you know, uh, the, all of the, the, the trade unionists, uh, for instance, uh, they, 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 might not, a, they might not agree with the stand that is taken, so that it would, they would certainly, certainly not go to war or something over or you know, not create a general strike or something over some such uh, such international type of or either national issue, which mm -hmm. you know, which uh, because of you know, uh, so you know, that's I you know, I say it's it's mainly exercising the right of expression of that opinion, okay. which isn't unity. Unanimously agreed to at all by all the members of the union. Set, but that's only a, a, a that's the apparent majority of those who were present at that particular time when the stand was taken, and it's often often not very effective. You know, it's. Uh, but at least the stand is there. The stand is there. Yeah. yeah. 
Get, getting away from specific issues, uh, I'd like to ask just your opinions on a couple of things. Like um, in the schools, uh, you know, I, I when I was in high school, I took uh, a course on how to how to run a business, how to work in business. Mm -hmm. And when I got out of school and I joined a union, I then I started wondering how come there was never any any course in how to run a union or how to organize or you know this sort of thing. It seems we have business courses, but we don't have any union courses. Has anyone ever stated that maybe the curriculum at school should... Yes, uh, we have now. I don't think that's ever become a public type of an issue. You know, the thought has always been there. I myself have been to schools. Eh? Uh, I've spoken to teachers on that subject. Eh? A lot of teachers agree with, you know, and I'm sure a lot more of them do now than did uh, 10 years ago or 12 years ago or 20 years ago, uh, that uh, there should be something in the curriculum of the schools too. And there, there are little bits are creeping in now into the textbooks. But see, you know, when I try to compare the school curriculum now with the curriculum that I had when I went to school, the vast amount of knowledge which exists now, which has to be, or I don't suppose it has to be, but which is, attempted at least to be imparted uh, 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 to the students, uh, knocks into a cocked hat the, the idea that, 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 uh, uh, that um, the, with the basics that you go to school first to learn to read and to write and to communicate, etc., etc., etc. These were the basics which they had when I went to school. Eh? And now, of course, there's there's such a vast uh, a vast amount of more knowledge been fed into the school system that has to be taught that it makes it extremely difficult to to get a, a program uh, respecting uh, the organization of unions and their purposes into the school curriculum. I know it was difficult. I, I did go to, to the school boards in both the places or I wrote them letters respecting that and I even offered to, to, uh, to to write a series of simple texts outlining the purposes, and they said, "Well, I didn't have the time to, you know." So that that it's that's the the, the school boards actually rather than than the intent of the person who might be teaching. Mm -hmm. um, I think right now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the um Labor Council doesn't own its own building, do they? they no, no. They, they rent space. Yeah, we just rent space. Know? And uh, over the years, I've noticed different people uh, 
came up with ideas and plans to have a home for labor, as it were, uh, a building where the labor council and all the unions, you know, whatever organization it is, could then rent space from, from the labor council and, in effect, buy their own building. Mm -hmm. The same principle that it's better to buy your own home than to rent. Mm -hmm. uh, how come after all these years, you know, uh, labor doesn't own its own building yet? Well, they, they did, in essence, uh, have the one on 106th Avenue and 104th Street. Was that the labor there. temple? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, that was uh, that was built in 1960, 1964, I guess. I I happened to manage it for a while until it got off the ground, if it ever got off the ground. But one of the difficulties is, you see, is the is the internal look which trade unions have, the navel gazing which they do, separates them. And if you notice in, in, in some sections of the labor movement, especially in the craft unions in particular, and in some of the industrial unions, once they're reasonably well established, they, there's a bit of jealousy creeps in. So that when you try and, 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 uh, there have been quite a number of energetic trade unionists over the years who have proposed that very same thing. Attempts have been made. Eh? But, uh, one union has got a little, a bit of a building of its own, eh? here and there, and they say, oh, well, no, we're, we're fine. Oh, I'm okay, Joe. I don't want to win with all the, you know, I'm, I'm just want to be a, be, I mean, in, in place of being identified as, as a, a corporate type of a citizen here, eh? Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd be submerged or we'd be submerged in something else. And so that's probably, that's probably one of the reasons that the, 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 the fact that the the common good of all has not been seen. Hey, the, the just the same as we as individuals. Hey, mm -hmm. we're we're kind of selfish in so far as our own situation and condition, mm -hmm. and you can't remove the trade union movement because it's an amalgam of, of individuals, the same as you and I, and that's really why it's never been successful. they, they did have a building. Uh, when I came here in '47, they had a they had a building out where the Sheraton Caravan is now. They sold that in oh fifty fifty five or fifty six, I guess. Um, since you've been in this province, there's only been two political parties in power: mm -hmm. uh, the Socreds and uh, the Tories. Uh, do you, have you seen much difference between the two as far as the way they've dealt with labor? Uh, no, I really, I really don't see really any difference. You know, the laws themselves, when they're passed, look fairly good or fairly bad. 
it's not the law itself, the laws themselves, I should say, that 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 uh, that are of the uh, of real significance, accepting that they're significant when. Uh, uh, when you try to do something and the law says you can't, eh? mm -hmm. but it's in the administration of these laws. Mm -hmm. They can be, you know, you can, you can have a poor law, well administered, with the intent of that law, you know, it's paramount. Eh? Good administration of a poor law it isn't too bad to live under. But bad administration of even a, a good law, which our labor laws in the province are are, uh, are less than 50% on the good side, eh? mm -hmm. a, a, a good administration of even that, what is, would, could make it fairly reasonable, eh? but it's, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's uh, when the when the administrators, those who administer the law, come from the business community, eh? mm -hmm. that they administer uh, 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 that law in a manner that they would that they normally hope to see it favor the group from which they came. You know, the, you know they're, the, the, administrator, the, the administrators of labor law in the province, I don't suppose there are maybe more than a couple or three people in the whole administration who have ever, who ever came out of trade unions. And they, 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 uh, they came out of trade unions because there were people who never rocked uh, the boat any. So, you know, that's, you know, our administration is poor, right? I don't see much difference in you, you, the last government or this government. You've helped to administer um, the Unemployment Insurance Act. Correct. By, uh, by serving on the uh, Unemployment Insurance Commission. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I'd like to ask you two things. Uh, one, uh, what you do on a commission. Uh, let's start with that. Well, exactly what did that commission do? Uh, what, what did you do on that commission? Well, I was on an advisory commission for, let me see. Oh, gee, I guess for three uh, years. That was simply to make recommendations to the UIC, the, 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 the commissioners in Ottawa, of which there are three or four, I forget, three anyway, to, you know, to, uh, now, this, this advisory commission I sat on was made up of people from the commission itself, labor people, uh, people from the law side, eh? 
people from the from from industry also. That that was we were we were we you know when there there'd be complaints we'd uh, we'd look at those and then uh, would that be like people appealing their claims that sort of thing or oh no well uh, no but this was this was if now how can I put that if there was uh, a section of the act that did not seem to be needing to be meeting the needs of the uh, the uh, either employers or employees if we're not that then we would make recommendations and and goodness me you know that you know, I, I still sit on the board of referees you know, though I have to retire this year as soon as I'm 75, eh? uh, and uh, the that that has been a baby that has really grown from very little in 1941 to what it is now, you know, and uh, and, uh, 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 and and I think I I I don't know whether I. Was remarking to you, I had started on my books in order to bring them up to date. You know, with the files I have, it, it changes. It it, 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 it it changes every day. Now, the input of the labor movement into that has been just as significant, I think, as the input of the industrial sector. Uh, perhaps it has uh, not been as visible because uh, as workers we we contribute about 40% of the contributions is made and the employer or the industrial sector has to contribute the 60, that's in round figures, I'm not, I'm not absolutely certain. So that uh, uh, we make more positive suggestions, I think, from our side than the, the, the employer contributors make from their side. Uh, they love to see cutbacks in it because it's costing too much. Mm -hmm. The, the last question I'd like to ask you, Mike, is uh, a general one, and it's quite often we hear politicians and even regular folks on the street, you know, coming out with the statement, boy, those unions, you know, they were needed at one time, but they've gotten too strong, you know. What do you think when you, when you hear that? Well, I, I rather smile. <coughs> The fact that unions are too big and too powerful is, on the face of it, extremely false. Within Canada, for as long as I can remember, trade unions never represented more than one-third of the workforce. That means that two-thirds of the workforce are unorganized and so therefore how can unions 
be too big and, and, too, and too strong. The semblance of that comes from the fact that once in a while, the trade union movement, in spite of all its internal wranglings and battling and, um, and, um, and, uh, and attempts uh, to uh, to be I'm I'm bigger and better than you, or therefore I am. In spite of all these internal wranglings of the uh, of unions, when occasionally we do have a united voice, at least from the the officers of local unions of. Of, of labor councils, of the federations, of national, of the national body. Uh, it, it gives the appearance of and strong. You know, say we're speaking for two million and a half workers. Well, what's the labor force in Canada? About 11 million people. That represents a little better than a fifth, maybe a quarter at the most. But it it gives the appearance of being big, of being tremendously strong. You have to look in. You're looking. You're looking at that from the political side. Uh, Industrial unions, some of the craft unions have made a, uh, you would think it was almost an obligation on their members that they should support the NDP. You look uh, across the country and perhaps the trade union member in, in proportion to all of the voters is not any not any greater, and perhaps in some in some respects is less supportive of the NDP than the ordinary voter, and so that you know that that that. That uh, you know, when you look at it like that, uh, unions are certainly not very strong in a political sense. They're not uh, tremendously strong in an economic sense. Uh, their influence on issues, if it happens to be a good type of a public issue, looks uh, looks a lot stronger than the numbers of the trade union itself. Maybe because it's a good issue. They, mm -hmm. you know, they, you know, if we look at all the social issues that we have, you know, even though they may be, they, they may be, be quite imperfect with the, which the trade union movement has, has, has fostered. Eh? All of these things, they. They don't give them any credit for the good. They give them only credit for the bad, which, and of course, the bad is always a strike. It's asking for too much money. And I wonder, I wonder if, 
labor movement was to suddenly withdraw in its voice from the workings, political, and then social and economic, if, if, if it was to withdraw its voice, of all of these people who complained that were too strong, would, would not, and say, well, we were good in the 30s when things were terrible. Boy, you helped then. Wonder if the trade union, even though it represents only about a third of the workforce of Canada, if they were to withdraw, how many of the good things that have been obtained through the efforts of unions, eh? statutory holidays, vacations with pay, pension plans, all these things, all came about largely because of the pressure that came from one-third of the workforce, how they'd fall back, or would they exist in a decade if we were to suddenly withdraw our... I think that's a very, very good point, Mike. And I'd like to thank you uh, for coming in today and for sharing all these recollections and views and opinions. Uh, I think it will be a real asset to the oral history collection here at the Archive. Well, thank, uh, thank, very you, much. thank you very much for having me. I didn't know I could remember what I remembered because in ten, you know, just after ten years I've been away from, of course, I guess I've never been away from actively serving. I've been on more boards since I retired than I was before. And the, the, I know the first five or six years I was retired, I was working from 40 to 60 hours a week on volunteer work of these boards. And so, you know, that's, uh, however, it, it, it did assist in the, the transition from 51 years in the labor force and working down to, you know, to full retirement. Work. Yeah, to full retirement. Thanks again, Mike. Okay. This material is a digitized audio recording from the holdings of the City of Edmonton Archives. For more information regarding the recording, please contact us by email at cms.archives at edmonton.ca, by phone at 780-496-8711, or on our online catalog at cityarchives.edmonton.ca.